but welcome to Navigating Change with Shane and Mike. We're so glad that you're joining us for the show today, and wow, do we have a special show. Not only, of course, is Shane here with us. Which is always special. That's special. This is going to be extra special. Extra special. Because we have Fred Bishop, a relation to Shane. It's his dad here with us today, a repeat guest. And uh, we're very happy about that. Shane, would you like to say anything? Well, a lot of people say, you know, what's it like to be the son of a living legend? And yes. I tell people, you have to ask my son, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, I have, you know, what, what do I really know? So, no, but Dad, Dad has, has just this incredible legacy uh, yeah. that has touched thousands and thousands of lives through No Greater Love Ministries. But... We've been kind of thinking a lot about uh, the, the film, The Jesus Movement, because our mm-hmm. church is getting ready to, to do some showings of it and all that. And, and Dad and I and my brother-in-law, Craig, we all went and saw the movie together. And I could tell while Dad was watching, it was kind of like somebody that fought in Vietnam watching a Vietnam War movie. You know what I mean? It yeah. wasn't like me watching it. It was, it was different. And so I thought it might be really cool, Mike, to see if Dad would come in and talk to yeah. us a little bit about... Uh, not what we call the Jesus Revolution, but what we just call the Jesus Movement as it occurred in Southern Illinois. All right. Well, Fred, we're so grateful to have you here with us. So uh, where did this, Shane, lead us along? Where did this, uh, where should we start today? Well, Dad, I know with you, uh, you felt called to ministry and you kind of went along a pretty traditional track. You grew up Methodist, you became a Baptist. You felt the call to ministry. You went to uh, a Baptist seminary. You get out of seminary. You start in a small rural church in Southern Illinois. I mean, you're kind of running the template. Mm-hmm. And then something changed. Uh, tell us what happened in your encounter with the young people in that church that changed your life. When I got out of seminary, I had an old motorcycle. And um, when I go to a small community it was rather unusual for a pastor to have a motorcycle and to have the you know the gear and everything but the young people were out hanging out in the streets and and so i'd stop by and talk to them and when i stopped by and talked to them i found out that they were having lots of troubles mainly with drugs and homosexuality and so uh i got thinking how can i help them and i says hey come to our church and they said your deacons can't even quit smoking how are they going to tell us how to give up drugs well then you go back and you look and you think do I have anything that will change this? No, I don't. Well, does, does anybody? And I found out David Wilkerson did. He was mm-hmm. called The Cross and the Switchblade. I read his book. But his theology was a little different than mine, and I had trouble handling that. But I did need to get him off the drugs. And so I, I found out that you pray and you get the Holy Spirit. G, John said, I baptize with water. But he said, he'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. I needed the Holy Ghost. I didn't need the fire. I got the Holy Ghost with the kids, and I got the fire from the adults. So it, that was my beginning. Okay, so you get out of school. You go back to kind of, what, within 10 miles, 15 miles where you grew up. Yes. And you're probably somewhat surprised, right, to Very see surprised. that the young people in this small, rural, conservative, southern Illinois community really have coastal problems and coastal challenges with uh, sexuality, with drug use, and all that. So you, you really walked in to a set of circumstances where you just didn't have the firepower as a pastor, as a Christian, to, to address things. So one of the things I've always liked about you, Dad, is you've never sat around thinking about what other people ought to do. You, you said, hey, uh, this is 
this is something that needs to happen in me. If, if God's going to give me the power to reach these people, he's going to have to do something in me. Mm-hmm. What happened in you that changed your life? Well, first, when I got to Pingneville, I knew I was in a rural town when I was on the streets at 6 p.m., and the police stopped me. And I said, what's, what's wrong? He said, we normally shut down the sidewalk about 5 p.m. And I thought, wow, is this rural? But then when I ran around on the motorcycle and found out with the kids, found out it may be rural, but it's not rural at all with the young people. And so they needed help, and I didn't know where to get it. And so I went out searching because if I could change, then I could tell them. Freely you have received, freely give. Don't try to give something you don't have. So there's this this whole movement at this time, late 60s, early 70s, around the, the filling of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's quite controversial in, in some uh, segments, particularly the Baptist Definitely. segment that, that you were in. You decided through reading and through seeing what God was doing in other places that that was what you needed to have happen in you. You needed to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Uh, how did that come about for you? Studying the scriptures. I went back and David Wilkerson was telling it, but I had to know that God said it, not David Wilkerson. And when it, when I found out about this thing about speaking in tongues and everything, but when I found out in in uh, in First Corinthians when he says, uh, you need to be filled with the Spirit because because I know that you can be prophesy, but in order to prophesy, you need to have a, a something to get it started. Mm. And so I saw that as the tongues. He said, I would that you all speak in tongues, but rather that you may prophesy in order that you might be able to prophesy. So I went and so I studied that and I studied it. And finally, then when I decided, yes, that's what I need. But I talked to another Baptist pastor and said, I don't need any of it. He said, by the way, I'm going to get a divorce. And he did get the divorce. And I went back and I said, God, I need help. Mm. And so I'm driving down the road and I said, John says he baptized you with water, but you'd baptize me with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And, uh, and I kept saying, you know, oh, the blood of Jesus. I wanted to make sure I was not out of line with what the scripture said. And uh, I felt like he said, You're, I said, I'm not a good husband, I'm not a good father, I'm not a good pastor. He says, I know. But he held me like in his arms, like I was a little baby. Mm-hmm. And I saw the top of my head like a funnel. And, and the spirit just, to the extent that I got rid, he filled everything from the top to the bottom. Wow. So you have this profound experience uh, it, it seems like that, that speaking in tongues is, was kind of the flashpoint back then, right? Yeah, Nobody totally, really talks about it much now, but mm-hmm. it was a real flashpoint back then. I'm going to guess a newly minted Baptist seminarian pastor who rides a motorcycle, reaches young people, and speaks in tongues went over like a lead balloon with a whole lot of people. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about some of the conflict that you experienced just because of what happened. I'll tell you what, what made it work. <laughs> We have a newspaper in Pinkyville. And that you remember what it was called back then? Nah. All right. The nah. <laughs> nah. Yeah. People say, Did you get your nah today? <laughs> that that newspaper guy was looking for far out stories. And I was uh, the far out story. Oh, yeah, you'd be, you'd be the best so thing ever happened. He thought he thought I was just the greatest thing that ever happened. <laughs> then then these people went against me. The Illinois Baptist had a, a newspaper. 
And so they they were telling about how that uh, you ought to have buses yeah. to bus people in. I thought, yeah. hey, great idea. <laughs> the people in the church were against the buses. They were against everything. But there was always there was always a, a ram in the in the thicket somewhere. God was always going to pull something out of the hat that'll help you to overdo them because He says, "Greater you He's in you than He's in the world." So every time they came against me, um, it really kind of fired me up and got me going. <laughs> I love it. So it was kind of interesting because. There's a little bit of a cycle going. So you had this cataclysmic change in your own yes. life. Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, these young people are, are gravitating toward that. You talked about the newspaper. They, they needed stories, and, and boom, you, yeah. you looked a lot like a story. Tell us what happened in even your small church, which was the Oak Grove Baptist Church. What happened as young people started coming to Jesus? How did it just change everything? They started coming to Jesus, but then uh, the things went against Two people of the young group were on drugs and committed suicide. Then, what really changed it, there was a guy that had a van that had a naked woman down the side of it. What Very well done. And I mean, everybody was hollering about like it. Like pornography on wheels. Pornography on <laughs> right. wheels. And then, a girl was in his van, and he either pushed her out or else she jumped out. But nevertheless, it really caused commotion. And the little old church that did the funeral... They said, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land. She didn't. There she is. Amen. And I mean, it was like kicking a hornet's nest. So that's in our little town. And so all of a sudden, I go down to the high school, and the guidance counselor, Rose Wilson, comes out, and she said, you're the answer to my prayers. I thought, hey. And she <laughs> yeah, said. Yeah, because not a lot of people were saying that. <laughs> no, no, no. But she was the bull. She was the ram in the bush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so yeah, yeah. she says. We need help. We've got, I don't know how many kids now after going to that funeral yeah. that they're all wanting to commit suicide. So she let me call people in, and I, I found out who all the pushers were in the school, and I'd call them in one at a time, make them face like this, but the people could see behind me. And so I didn't make a difference what they were saying. All, they, all the people could see was my expression. No. Hey. You know, and the next thing you know, we had people coming to Christ. Then I went down and talked to the chief of police. And I says, hey, I'd like to block a street off here after school and have a Jesus rally. And so he thought it was a good idea. He blocked the street oh, off, wow. passed out across the switchblade in the school, mm -hmm. and all these kids start coming out of our church. And so we were just winning them right and left. Now, when you say Jesus rally, what would a Jesus rally have looked like circa 1970-71? We fed it. Number one, the David Wilkerson books, they were using those, I passed them out in the school, and they were using those books to write book reports on. Okay. Then I had the Jesus paper, and I'd go down and... And this came out of Spokane, Washington, right? It came out of Spokane, Washington, but I'd go to Carbondale and get a whole pile of the magazines and pass those out, and now all of a sudden there's a real movement, you know? Mm. And then we set up, there was a place called Smoker's Corner right outside of the Paintville High School, and I asked that guy if we could set up in his yard. And he says, I don't want those kids smoking down there. He says, but I'll let you plug in if you'll keep off my grass. So we did put a, an old wagon out there, got us a music group. And um, and soon as school got out, we were playing. And so all the kids came, hey, we have no competition. And so <laughs> they came and then they says, hey, we really like to do more than this. So then we had the meeting at the Baptist church. We had a thousand people in a little bitty town come to that, and then I says, hey, after the meeting's over, come out to Old Grove about midnight, and we'll, we'll get this thing going. So then we, that's when we saw that it wasn't enough to meet. Now we needed to go out and take it to other towns. And so these kids, I'd take them to a meeting, and uh, 
they'd holler, all right, man. I mean, if there wasn't a revival, there would be because the kids had it. <laughs> now, some of my early memories, I'm probably 10 years old at the yeah. time, nine or 10. Some of my early memories, first of all, I remember just rock and roll bands. I mean, because yeah. you, you brought, I remember Sammy Tippett at a group called Living yeah. Water. But I mean, the, the, that whole, whole thing we saw in the movie about music, Music was that great. was a big piece of this, and it wasn't uh, pianos and organs. It was Stratocasters and drums, uh-huh. and and I just remember that expression uh, very vividly. I also remember our small church uh, that a lot of the young people who had come to Christ they would come to church, and I just remember them sitting on the floor, yeah. big bell-bottom jeans, wow. you know, and literally sitting on the floor while all of the regular church people sat in the pews. And I just kind of remember thinking, what an interesting juxtaposition, though it might have been 30 years before I learned that word. But I just thought to myself, you know, what what an odd thing I'm seeing here. 16-year-olds, as far as the eye could see, across the floor. And then, you know, basically good old-fashioned country church people in polyester Sitting in the pews, and then you trying to lead this whole thing and stay employed, right? And stay employed. Was staying employed hard? Uh, The reason why it wasn't, it would have been hard in any other denomination, but not in Baptist. Because Baptist, like I said, if you accept Christ tonight, you can vote tomorrow, same as anybody else. And so I led more people to Christ than there were voters in that church. (laughs) So you basically led them to Jesus, brought them to the business meeting, and they kept you in... Uh, they kept me your job. occupied. I mean, I, <laughs> yes, they did. Now, what I do, if we got to the meeting, they could bring out old people that I'd never even seen in church, the adults could. And, and they'd look around at this one person deciding on how to vote. But if they all came early, I had the meeting first. If they came late, I had the board meeting first. So, I mean, it was, it was kind of a chess game. Yeah, so it was kind of like where Pentecost meets Machiavelli. So, so you, 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 there is some political aspect to this, yes. right? I oh, mean, yes. there's is a little bit of oh, shuffling. Of the other thing I think is important to point out is that there's some theological aspect. A lot of what we hear from people in the Jesus movement were just regular people. Well, you weren't a lay person. You were a seminary-trained pastor, uh, very good with Greek, very good with the New Testament. You became convinced that this was good and proper theology. You leaned into it. The Spirit did some work in you. We're seeing great things, significant things happen in this small church and then it begins to spread throughout southern Illinois. Tell us a little bit about that spread. Well, when I, when I started doing all this and everything, I was just local. You know, I was just us. And then I heard that they were uh, having riots in Carbondale. Well, you know, I had my motorcycle. I thought about it. got to remember, this is the late 60s, early 70s, 70s right? Yeah. I mean, they're rioting on American campuses. Yeah, and they're knocking the windows out and everything. And so I'm riding through wanting to see what it's all about. And uh, then I realized, hey, they need help down there. So I got two guys that had just got filled with the spirit, and I had a van. And so I sat in one, he sat in one, one in each pew. And right, because so, you got three sets of seats yeah. in a van, right? And yeah. so I'm riding down toward Carbondale, and there'd be people hitchhiking back then. So I'd pick him up. If he gets on your seat, he's yours. If he gets on your, <laughs> you know. And that way, then I'd go down to Carbondale, and people were hitchhiking around town. I'd, I'd just go around picking people up and then sharing with them about Jesus. And then I heard they were going to have the, the Halloween festival and thought, hey, I bet they need something there. But <laughs> this group of kids that I got from Painterville, mm-hmm. they don't know the difference. We could go to Carbondale. We can go to any kind of a festival you want to name. And these kids were ripe and ready and the thing of it is a lot of them didn't have homes that were very very much behind them 
a lot of times I'd go out and they'd be sleeping under the buses, but they were always willing to do whatever needed to be done. And then this kind of spread to several southern Illinois towns. You would, you'd carry crosses through towns. You'd have Jesus marches. Uh, there was some music aspect to this. this. This really kind of broke out for a while. This music aspect, I knew nothing about that. And so some of our kids went up to Nashville, which is about 18 miles away, to a meeting. And they came back and they said, hey, they're singing up there. I thought, why in the world are they singing? You know, this isn't church. And then the guy from Nashville called me and he says, I don't want your kids to come back anymore. So why? He said, because they all smell like marijuana. So I said, the kid says, hey, they said you guys smell like marijuana. I said, oh, no, that was patchouli oil. And so then the woman... See, had well-oiled kids. Yeah, they were <laughs> well-oiled and slick as I'll get out. And so then I had this one woman that would join me, and she couldn't hardly play with a lick. But we would still sing, and we only had three questions. We didn't have the great sermons. Are you up, are you down, or could you care less? Hmm. And the kids were honest. If one of them said, I'm doing great, and the rest of them knew he wasn't, they'd just crack up. And that's when we had the two kids commit suicide. So, I mean, it was a serious time, and it was a, it was a desperate time for the young people. And Jesus Christ was the only hope they had. Hmm. And I, we had Christ. I remember Dad being a little kid, and, and you would have groups like small groups and, and the the teenagers would like sit in circles and they would share testimonies and it was very but I, I just never will forget one teenager talking about him giving up marijuana he had quit marijuana and then someone asked him when and, and it was like <laughs> yesterday you know what I mean, I mean he, he, he was like he was like four hours clean you know and, and I, there was this real kind of raw honesty to it but it was also pretty messy right it was messy and i know in the movie jesus revolution there were some real conflicts within the church I, I remember being in the vestibule once and you and one of the church leaders i thought you guys were going to come to blows tell, tell us a little bit about that kind of thing well okay i heard that they were given jesus cheers which I still do every year in Mardi Gras now. Um, but uh, give me a J, give me an E, give me an S, give me a U, give me an S. What's that spell? Jesus. Well, I decided that'd be a good idea to do in church. And so I went down to the youth department and says, hey, this is what they're doing. I read it in a magazine. Won't we do it? So they did, and I said, I can't hear that. And I mean, they were ready. So we get up in the service, we do that. And one of the old deacons, he said, he compared that to great as Diane of Ephesus, and he wanted to fight and so, uh, so I thought, actually, I probably know more about fighting than I do this anyway. <laughs> Dad was a boxer at the University of Illinois, so there, so. there was a little bit of background. And I got to tell you, I was sitting there thinking as a kid, if this kid hits my dad, my dad is going to wipe up the floor with this guy. So I do remember that crossing my mind. And and we had an old, uh, had a little pony that. I'd ridden when I was a kid, and they gave it to me, and so I had it out on that guy's farm, the one that wanted to fight, and uh, and so my wife says, you know, you better get that pony off of his farm, and I says, hey, it's a big farm, what difference to make one more animal? Well, sure enough, he called me the next day, and he wanted that farm, he wanted that one gone, mm. and so uh, we did take it out of there, but uh, it, there was just a lot of conflict, but I'll tell you what, the one that caused me the most trouble, um, on years later, he was in the hospital and I visited him, Elmer Miller, and he said, Fred, I want you to forgive me. I was wrong. Hmm. He said, God was in what you were doing. Wow. 
Yeah, so that, that, that meant a lot to me. Actually. Well, it takes quite a person to, to say something Hell like yeah. that, too. You know, I mean, how much respect would you have for a person like that? That's really impressive. Dad, as we kind of close things up, uh, you know, we look at the movement. You were only in Pinckneyville three. Yeah, two or three years. Yeah, three years or so, you know. Uh, then you went on to uh, join Sammy Tippett in ministry with, uh, back then it was called God's Love in Action. Now Sammy Tippett Ministries is called just Sammy Tippett Ministries. You started No Greater Love Ministries out there, and there, that's been a legacy, obviously, uh, in its own right. But there is still some fruit that remains from those three years of how God moved in Southern Illinois. And you tell me every now and then you'll you'll get a note from somebody like on Facebook, uh, a, a message a messenger uh, from somebody who was a part of that movement. So there really, it, it wasn't just a flash in the pan. No. There was some fruit that remained. Can you talk about that? Uh, when I got down to the end and uh, and all of a sudden the anointing was there and I could do everything and then all of a sudden I couldn't and it's because God's spirit was moving away. And so I prayed and said, Lord, I can't leave because we need to build a building. He said, you couldn't even build a rabbit trap. And so then I said, and I want to start this just youth service. He says, the guy that you got training him, he's going to get out of the military. He can do it. He said, well, I'd really like to beat this one church in attendance. And I believe he says, and when you leave, I think we can do that too. So after I left, every month I checked back, find out, and they outdid them in attendance. Wow. The guy did get out of the military and started the, the bus ministry, and they, another group came in and built the building. So what I loved about it, yes, those were the roots. But he said, but these fruits shall remain. And the church was stronger, and they got a building. In fact, I just drove past it a couple of days ago, and every time I do, I'm thankful for what God did. And actually, they did the bus ministry, and in no greater love, we had a big trailways bus. I drove by there and saw the old bus is old. I called the pastor and some of his deacons, and I said, hey, I'd like to take you for a ride. So we did, and I said to the young guy, I says, I remember leading you to Christ. And I said, you got a CDL? And he said, yeah. We drove back by the church, and I got out. Decided I'd just give him the bus. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, Dad, as you think back through those to those three years, I mean, you know, sometimes a, a year's a year, and sometimes a year could be a lifetime. Uh, what reflections do you have at your age looking back to those days now? Okay, some of the places I'll go into, I'm talking churches here. Uh, cause things to split mm -hmm. and uh, I look back and in fact the one church that split and um, had several but one church that split I went back to the guy that had invited me there and before he died I said Fred it says uh, do you wish I'd never come and he says no he said God was in it and he changed us and so that meant a lot to me and another place I went and they split and um, and I talked to the pastor there, and uh, he says, no. He says, we saw God as alive, and we went with you to Honduras, and we started our ministry in Honduras. We even adopted the village. He said, it all came out of you sharing what Christ could do, that he's alive today and not just past tense. So as you look back, uh, special time. And then it seems like even with some of the downsides of that, if you will, those two have been redeemed in, in a certain way. And uh, that's kind of the beauty of following Jesus, it you is. know. And one of the great things about living a good long life 
is that you have time to see how the seeds that you sowed, uh, what they have become and, and what the, the outcome has been. And I know that when we celebrated your 50 years of ministry at Mardi Gras not long ago, just hearing the stories of the people whose lives were changed because of God's calling on you was, was incredibly compelling. So, Dad, thank you for not only being a great father, but for being a spiritual father to so many people, for being a part of an incredible movement of God that produced fruit that has remained. And uh, thanks for hanging out with us for a little bit today. Yeah, thank you, Fred. Sure enjoyed it. Thank it, you. It was an honor. Well, thank you for joining us for Navigating Change with Shane and Mike. We'll talk with you next time. And remember, keep the change. Keep the change.